surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I'm your host, Taylor, and uh, thank you for listening to the last two episodes and making it now to part three of answering your counseling questions. Uh, Today, this last in the series of counseling questions will actually not be a solo episode. Um, so for this section of answering your questions on kind of what it's like to be a therapist, I'm joined by my wonderful colleague, Taylor Moss. So welcome, Taylor, to the show. Thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so before we get started answering some of these questions. Um, so you are a LMFTA, um, which is a licensed marriage and family therapist associate. Yep. You went to school here at Seattle Pacific University. Yeah. Um, and so you've been working as a therapist now for how long, would you say? Five years. Yeah. It's gone by fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and what, I mean, this also is a part of some of the questions you guys have asked, but um, just kind of give people an idea of like what kind of population you work with and what your what your kind of therapeutic approach is. Yeah. Well, if I could back up a little bit, mm-hmm. I think what's always interesting about therapists is how they got into therapy yeah. and why. And um, one of the reasons I got into therapy was a profound experience that I had in premarital therapy with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, we got engaged and and I thought it was going to be all beautiful wedding planning and the yeah. day of my dreams. And it ended up being the day of my dreams, but the <laughs> wedding planning was a bit difficult. Yeah. And we went into our, a premarital counselor at, who really helped us align as a couple, really helped us iron out values. And after that experience, I looked at him and I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so I applied for graduate school a couple years later and mm-hmm. did all the research and reading I could on premarital therapy. So yeah. as we've talked about, it's one of my passions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now in my practice, I see uh, premarital couples and um, specifically I'm really interested in couples who have been living together for a long time and Mm -hmm. decide to get married Hmm. and what that process looks like because I think it's a little bit different than what we consider maybe more traditional Mm -hmm. premarital counseling. Um, And then my premaritals become maritals. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of couples couples who are married or in committed long-term relationships. And um, then I see a few individuals. Um, I also am fluent in American Sign Language. Yeah, that's right. A little random. Yeah. My undergrad was in (laughs) American Sign Language. So I see uh, I see couples and individuals who use um, a a form of or any form of sign language really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And my uh, clinical orientation, um, I from couples work I do primarily uh, Gottman uh, Mm -hmm. method couples therapy. I work for the Gottman Institute for a little while and Mm -hmm. um, and just really really love their approach. 
Yeah. And I, and I will just say too, for anyone listening who um, is interested in doing some kind of couples work that the Gottman's approach is like the way to go. Um, if you're in the field of psychology, I'm sure you've heard of the Gottman's and do want to let you guys know that if you are interested in taking their level one training to become a Gottman certified therapist, that you can actually get a lovely little discount. You can get a $50 discount on the level one training. If you guys go to Gottman dot com slash Taylor. And you can really check it out. It's for uh, mental health providers, allied professionals, students, interns, uh, professor, professors, teachers of couples therapy, um, anyone who's doing research. There's no prerequisites. Um, and you learn a lot in this level one. You can do it online. Um, and you get all these like original videos from real couples um, of, of the famous Gottman Love Labs, which if you don't know about their Love Labs research, it's like so fascinating. Um, but they are like, literally the researchers for couples work. So if that's something that you're interested in, again, I would just as a side note here, totally, totally check it out. You can get the level one training for $58 off going to gottman.com slash Taylor and that's G-O-T-T-M-A-N. So definitely check it out. Even if you guys just want to learn some more stuff about, you know, how you can even handle things in, in your relationship differently. The approach is, you know, evidence-based, um, very practical, emotion-focused, uh, highly effective approaches. So yeah, just just as a little side note, I hope you guys check it out. Um, but yeah, Taylor, please continue to um, kind of the, the approach that you use um, in addition to being a, you know, Gottman trained therapist. Yeah. I also, as a marriage and family therapist, come from a systemic perspective. Mm -hmm. It's big in the MFT world. So I do a lot of Bowen systems work, you know. Could you explain what systemic approach is? Yes. The idea of systems is that we're not alone in this world Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you and me here together create um, something that individually we, we wouldn't and that, and that, you know, in my marriage, um, the way I act influences my husband, the way he act influences me, but then mm-hmm. his family of origin influences me. My, my family that I grew up in influences him and that yeah. we carry, um, we carry the impact of those mm-hmm. around us in the relationships and in how we think about the world. Yeah. And even kind of, I mean, somewhat on subject, but somewhat off subject of, um, this episode I shared about, my current partner and I going to therapy Mm. and people had a lot of really strong feelings about it. Mm. And talking about doing premarital work, um, people thought it was like such this negative thing that like, wow, if you have to work that hard to force your relationship to work, then it's already doomed in that. Like it was, it was just this, it was like, Oh my God, their relationship is in crisis because they went to therapy together. And it's like, actually, no, it's very helpful, especially for me early on, especially when you're long distance, especially when there's a lot of work involved on both of your parts, like professional work that you're doing, um, that, doing that kind of work beforehand, before being, you know, engaged or committed to living a life together that you get to know each other in that way and you learn the skills and you, you learn really more about how each of you communicate. Yeah. Uh, It's preventative care, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We see our doctor every year to make sure that we're healthy. Yep. You know, why wouldn't we do the same for our relationships? And I think hopefully things like what you're doing, uh, you know, 
being more outspoken about how important mm-hmm. mental health is and how you don't need to be in crisis. Actually, yeah. when you're in crisis, it's actually harder mm-hmm. to you know, come back from that when couples come in yeah. seven, 10 years into having a problem and they're like, we want to fix this yeah. in three sessions. There's I'm a like, lot to unpack. It took a second to get there. It's going to take us a second to come yes. out. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. I love that you guys are doing that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, I feel like we'll have to have you on as like a separate episode to talk about stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but for this episode, I'm really excited to have you to kind of um, answer some of these questions with me about what it's like to be a therapist. Yeah. It felt um, a little weird to do this portion of these questions by myself mm-hmm. because, you know, I think while we certainly experience things similarly at times and we will likely have some of the same perspectives on some of this stuff, I just think it's important to like include that, you know, there are other therapists out there that would it, would experience this in a similar way, but also in different ways and that yes. those differences are also also still valuable. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And so to get started on answering some of your questions, um, there I've gotten this a lot actually, and people really just kind of want to know how you decide to get the degree that you got. So whether it's a master's in social work versus counseling or getting a PhD versus a PsyD, um, of how you kind of decide which degree you're going to get. Yeah. How I decided? Yeah. Uh, don't do what I did. I just <laughs> applied to the only program that I wanted to go to because I loved one of the professors there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know you can do it for that reason, but I applied to a marriage and family therapy program because I have a, I had a good family friend that taught there mm-hmm. and I said, if I'm going to go to a program, I'm going to go to her program. And luckily yeah. it ended up being what I wanted to do, work with yeah. couples. But I think if you're more discerning than I was, mm-hmm. um, you would think about potentially the type of work that you want to do. Yeah. Oftentimes, um, you don't really know what you want exactly, what you want your niche to be. That's kind mm-hmm. of a buzzword in the therapy yeah. community is that it's like, what's your expertise in your population? Right. And, right. Yeah. But you don't really know what you want to do until you learn more about it. But mm-hmm. do you think maybe you want to work more with individuals? Do you think maybe you want to work more with families mm-hmm. or couples? Do you think maybe you want to work more in the community? And mm-hmm. that's how I kind of see, you know, individuals being, uh, mental health counselors, couples and families being marriage and family therapists and then social work being this you know kind of hybrid degree of we're gonna we're gonna take a look from more of a societal perspective Mm -hmm. and then get some additional training on how to work with either individuals or couples yeah but then the interesting thing is you can get one of those degrees and get advanced training to work with individuals to Mm -hmm. work with couples to work with within communities yeah yeah i would i would say for me i I really just kind of went for more of the umbrella. For me, I felt like, okay, if I go for mental health counseling, that that allows me to do like a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. You know, if I Mm -hmm. were to do something specific in substance abuse, which was a, you know, very strong interest of mine in a population I really enjoyed working with. But then I felt like, oh, then I might be limited to only being able to do that. And what if then I wanted to work with couples and I wanted to, you know, do all this other stuff. I felt like, oh, don't put me in a box. (laughs) Um, So I looked for a degree that kind of was going to give me more of more options in terms of what I was going to do. Um, and people also were kind of curious about, and this is a debate and conversation we've had in the past, but, um, about what the difference is between a counselor and a therapist. And then also the difference between a therapist and a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In Washington state, my understanding is psychologist, uh, is at the PhD level. Yeah. 
counselors and therapists are at the master's degree levels. And mm-hmm. in Washington, we had this conversation yeah. right before we started recording. <laughs> so in Washington state, the way that we understand it is counselor and therapists are synonymous and interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I use them synonymous, synonymously and interchangeably. Yeah, yeah. same. And psychiatrists um, are different from psychologists. Yes, mm-hmm. even more like the double PhD, right? They yeah. had have a medical degree and then mm-hmm. advanced training in psychology. Yeah. I will say that a term that we use as therapists is psychotherapist. Yes. But if you ever introduce yourself to someone as a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. they think that you're a psycho. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I'm a therapist. I see couples. Okay. So I love, I like the distinction that I'm a psychotherapist, yes. right? Versus mm-hmm. a physical therapist. Yes. Or, but I don't think that word is used enough in yes. our in our vernacular to make other people understand it. Yeah. So. I actually had a situation with a client when she came into my office because on the door it says psychotherapy and it was her first time ever in any kind of like therapeutic setting and she asked she was like, oh like I thought so I thought this was talk therapy. So what what's psychotherapy? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no like that that is what we're doing. That is talk <laughs> therapy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's not something that we use in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. We say therapist, we say counselor, we don't say yeah. um, psychotherapist. Yeah. So y'all, we're psychotherapists mm-hmm. and proud of it. Yes. Yes. And I do get that because sometimes I will I will just say, yeah, I'm a therapist, and and people do think like, oh, she's a massage therapist mm-hmm. or she's a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm a mental health counselor. I'm a psychotherapist. That's what I do. Yes. Yeah, there are, and and I get it for people that aren't in this bubble of mental health and psychology that all these different things can get pretty confusing. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, um, and you guys asked some very good like logistical questions here. Um, of which license is easiest to move state to state? Oh, <laughs> I really don't know. I haven't looked at moving um, licenses from state to state. The only li- the only state I've been licensed in is in Washington, but I, my assumption here is that when I was doing school on the East Coast, it would have been, I would have been a LCP or an LCPC. Mm-hmm. And I do think that within, you know, maybe like tri-state area or East Coast area that some of the licensure requirements are about the same. Mm-hmm. I do remember California actually mm-hmm. having like one of the strictest mm-hmm. uh, license requirements. Mm-hmm. It, so when I started graduate school, they were like, is anyone thinking about moving afterwards? Great. Yeah. You want to contact your local state and and ask them, your local board and ask them what the requirements are. Anyone moving back to California? Don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Don't. I feel like it's like you had to get like a whole second master's degree or well, something. It's, it was... it's, it's more complicated. At least in the LMFT community, we're mm-hmm. starting to relax those a bit and yeah. make it more portable. And I, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. in five, 10 years if it was pretty unanimous across across the country. The interesting um, question about this is as we move to telehealth, yes, you have to be licensed in the state that you're practicing Practicing. and the state that your client is in, Mm -hmm. but we don't have any restrictions around countries. So it'll be interesting to see in five or 10 years what that's like, because the state's really important right now, but as we go more online, Hmm. countries are going to be important as well. I had not even thought of that. Dang. It's a whole new world. I I got even more technical than the question. Yeah. (laughs) This is another kind of technical one um, of how you can verify someone is a licensed therapist. Yes. I think it's a really good question. Yeah. Um, 
in the state of Washington, the Department of Health holds our licenses. And it's a pretty antiquated website, but you can go and look up my name, Taylor Moss, and make sure that my li- license is active. <laughs> I would I yeah. would make sure also when you go and see a therapist, they should tell you their license number. Yeah. If they don't, don't see that therapist or ask them, but then mm-hmm. don't see that they therapist. They should also have their little license thing um, visible in the office, right? <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Sure, thanks, um, Taylor. <laughs> now I'm gonna. Now next, you're gonna see next time you come visit me that I'm gonna have to have mine up. But yes. yeah, I think that legally we're supposed to. But yeah, I think the important thing is that you are licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think the interesting thing about this too is that as consumers, you are a consumer yeah. of therapy, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the right to complain about the therapist if they do something that is inappropriate. And that's who you'd go to as the Department of Health. Yeah. Uh, When I was not even seeing clients, Mm -hmm. someone reported me to Department of Health because I was on the show and they were like, this is unprofessional behavior. And Department of Health was like, this is not... But no. you have the right but, to yeah, I, complain, I, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. So that was an experience I had. But um, I do think also when you go on someone's website or when you're even looking for a therapist, like Psychology Today, like you have to insert that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think going to someone's website, seeing what their actual license is, double checking mm-hmm. that with Department of Health. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if like getting into their NPI number is like too much or if that's even like public knowledge. I don't think that is as important as making sure that they have a license, making yeah. sure they have a number. I mean, I see a couple therapist. I've seen many individual counselors. I've never done this myself. Yeah, I haven't either. But but it's good to know that there's that it's there and they should have that listed on their paperwork. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Very true. Very true. Um, someone asked, can you practice anywhere and do you need a license? If so, how long is it good for and the amount? So I would say... How do you understand that? So I would, I would answer that by saying that your license depends on your state um, and mm-hmm. that you can't practice anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to practice within the state that you are licensed in. Mm-hmm. And if you, like we said, if you're going to do any kind of like over the phone or over video sessions that you then have to be licensed, not only in the state that you are in, but also that that client is in. Mm-hmm. Um, most, I don't know how it is once you're fully licensed, but for me working towards hours right now, I have to renew that every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to have continuing education hours, I'm taking workshops and yeah, it's learning. the same when you're licensed. They want your money yeah. every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also want to check that you've done mm-hmm. the tra- your CEs, which are continuing education credits. Yeah. And um, in the state of Washington, we have so many of those credits that have to be ethics training. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to keep up on that. Yes. Um, how soon can you start seeing clients on your own without working for a company? After you graduate, I mean, you can have a your own private practice. That's what I have. And yep. that's what you have. Um, in the state just, of Washington. Yeah. Some states are different. California, mm-hmm. again, for any California listeners, I'm sorry if I'm botching this, but yeah. it used to be that you couldn't in the state of California, mm-hmm. but um, I think things are changing. Yeah. But, yeah. but, and you do have to work underneath the supervisor. So yeah. that supervisor doesn't necessarily have to be at the same company that you're in or um, at the same office that you're working at. Yep. Um, but yeah. You have to have a certain number of supervision hours. Um, if you are seeing clients on your own after 
school and mm-hmm. don't have the full hours yet. Um, I thought this question was interesting. Is there a high enough demand for therapists? And I would say a thousand percent yes, yeah. that there's <laughs> like <laughs> there could literally be a therapist for every person plus one. Yes. Yeah. Especially yeah. in Seattle where um, yes. the stigma for mental health is a bit lower mm-hmm. and uh, there is a lot of people seeking mm-hmm. mental health counseling here in Seattle. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we get into like some of the really good questions okay. that um, <laughs> we'll take some answering. Um, what is it like to be a therapist? What is the biggest misconception about the profession? Mm. What is it like to be a therapist? Mm-hmm. I thought that when I went to graduate school that I found my people. Yeah. I was always one of those um, weirdies that you invited to the party that like kind of got up in your business and yeah. was like, what really broke you as a child? Mm-hmm. And you're and like, I just like, want to blow out my birthday candle. Right. People are like, please. People either loved it yeah. or they were like, I don't want to talk to that girl. Mm-hmm. And then I went to graduate school and there was 35 of us there. Yeah. I remember going home, well, leaving school for a couple of weeks for Christmas and coming back and like grabbing my colleagues hands and being like, I, I missed you guys. You really listen. <laughs> so I feel like being a therapist is like coming home. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always played a therapist role in my family with, with my friends, but I also learned, um, really learned how to do it well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I always had that interest, but yeah. it was more about me. And then, um, I learned, the big thing I learned in graduate school is I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. people say all the time, do you, do you think like, what do you think about this client? And I have, uh, theories and ways I think about the work, but at the end of the day, I don't know my clients. I am just insanely curious. Yeah. So being, being a therapist is just being able to be curious mm-hmm. during the sessions, during the time that you're thinking about your client set, mm-hmm. thinking about these bigger questions in life. Yeah. It also is emotionally draining as I'm sure people would imagine. And we have lots of questions about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a part that we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it feels like just fulfilling a part of me, um, but in a professional context, yeah. I'm really proud of being a small business owner. I'm proud mm-hmm. of being a woman as a small business owner and a successful one at that. And, um, so I'm proud that I get to run a business doing something that I think is changing yeah. the world. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest misconception around therapy? That people are crazy. That mm-hmm. like all the people who come to us are crazy. Yeah. And I had a client the I had a client at one point say, you know, do you do do you judge me for mm-hmm. for what I said, right? And I'm like Honestly, I can say that I don't judge my clients at all because mm-hmm. we're all people trying to make sense in yeah. this world and trying to love and trying to be loved. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have had a lot of interruptions to that, which yeah. uh, and their um, coping skills for that maybe mm-hmm. aren't the most useful now, but probably were at some point. So mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's um, crazy. I mean, there are people who suffer from severe mental illness. Yeah. Yes. But all people who come to therapy aren't crazy. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I would totally agree with that as being a really big misconception and a large part of what contributes to the stigma of people not wanting to come to therapy Mm -hmm. and of people thinking that something has to be drastically wrong Mm -hmm. and they have to be like literally psychotic to Mm -hmm. come to therapy Mm -hmm. when that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, I would also say, I would add to that, that a big misconception that I find about therapy 
is that people think that going to a therapist, all of your problems will be solved oh, and yeah. that it's a quick fix. Yeah. And that um, a lot of people think that it is just you going in and talking to this person and just like word vomiting your whole life to them mm-hmm. and you know, then them just providing you all the answers. Mm-hmm. And for me, it is so much about the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think also surprises my clients too at first when we start working together that for me, so much of the work that you're going to get out of therapy has to do with our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is why I think it is so important to find a therapist that, that you do click with. Mm-hmm. And in the past episodes I did... Um, in part one and part two, a lot of the questions that people had around working with a therapist were about what to do when they don't like their therapist Mm -hmm. and like how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm like, that's like the most important part of Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it's not that you like your therapist, but that you feel comfortable working with your therapist, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think there are times when I've been mad at my therapist. There are times where I've been like, no, you're wrong. But if I can't say that and process that and I don't feel safe Mm -hmm. for that person to see me fully understand me, then yeah, not the right fit. Yeah. Um, There are are so many good questions. (laughs) Uh, So sorry, I'm just going to keep going through them here. Um, What do the hours look like? Like our day-to-day, a typical work week, uh, what would you say that that looks like? Yeah, I think for me, I'm in my practice two days a week and um, I have another side hustle. I I joke that I'm the COO of Moss Enterprises. I'm a part-time stay-at-home mom, which is much harder than running a small business. Um, but, uh, no, I love it. I I love Mm. both parts of, of my career and really raising my child is a career. Um, but, uh, I get to work two long days, Mm -hmm. um, which really works for my family. That's one of the nice things about being a therapist is that I can pick my schedule. Mm -hmm. However, being a couples therapist, I have to think about when do couples want to see their therapist? They want to see it at night, right? Mm -hmm. So I usually work, um, till 8.30 on one evening a week and I could have a much more robust practice if I could work until yeah. 8.30 every night of the week, but I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so I get to pick my hours. But uh, normally um, therapists see clients for 20 mm-hmm. to 25 hours a week and then the 10, 15 remaining hours are paperwork and billing mm-hmm. and running your business as a private practice yeah. uh, clinician, I should say. Yeah. There yeah. are other, um, you know, if you work in community mental health or a group mm-hmm. practice where you maybe don't have to do as much paperwork and things, you mm-hmm. might be seeing more client hours. Yeah. Yeah. And... And I would say it really, you know, these are kind of our, our life experiences with what this looks like, but it really can look different for every therapist. Um, for me, I'm doing it just kind of part time to get back into it. And I'm only seeing clients one day a week. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm traveling, then I'll see, I'll do a phone session on a different day. Um, so I guess that would technically be multiple days a week, but, um, yeah, doing it part time, trying to balance all the other Source of, sources of income. Um, but yeah, I try to like, I, I really, I very much appreciate the small breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I really need that space of like an hour or, you know, a solid 30 minutes between mm-hmm. clients mm-hmm. to be able to feel like I'm showing up fully yes. in the next session. Yes. Yeah. But when you're rocking your full-time practice, you'll get to do back to back to back. I can do five clients now back to back and feel feel pretty good. But it was a ramp up to get there. mm -hmm. See, when I did, when I, by the time I left my internship, I was seeing like three-ish clients back to back. And 
I was fine with that, but they were strict 50 minute sessions. I was like, I am not going over this 50 minutes. Like we are starting wrap up at like 40, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got very good with my time management in that Mm -hmm. because I was like, I need those 10 minutes Mm -hmm. before I see my next client. Yeah. Um, And yeah, now that I have the flexibility to like manage that even more on my own, not being an intern, um, I am like, an hour, 30 minutes. <laughs> have you heard, have you heard of this new book that's out? Um, the author's name is Lori something, but it's, um, I think you should talk to someone. She's a psychotherapist who reflects on her going to psychotherapy. Oh. And I heard a, a interview that she did with KUOW here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that as a therapist, she can feel 50 minutes in her bones yeah. and I can totally feel mm-hmm. 50 minutes in my bones. Yeah. Um, I just know, I yep. mean, we have... A, a therapist's office is always going to have a thousand clocks all around. Yes. <laughs> um, but I usually don't need to look at it to say, oh, it's been about 45 minutes, 50 mm-hmm. minutes here. Yeah. So. I, that's one thing my therapist loves about seeing me is that like, mm-hmm. I know and I see it and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'll just kind of start to wrap it up on my own because mm-hmm. I'm like, I I know you need. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not going to go over this. Yeah. Um, and kind of to continue off of that of what... Um, our typical work week would look like or day to day. Um, someone asked, why is it so expensive to see a therapist? And I thought it was really interesting in this little section of questions that someone's asking, why is it so expensive to see a therapist? All I want is my uh, master's in social work, but can't afford more debt. How do you deal with undergrad and graduate debt? And then also mm-hmm. is the salary that you make as an LMHC enough or do you need another part-time job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when you see the price tag of um, the hourly rate from anywhere from uh, the low end here in Seattle, 100 to the high end being $200 mm-hmm. an hour that uh, you don't really factor in the fact that we're independent small business owners, right? Yes. So uh, some people are paying for their health insurance. Some people, mm-hmm. you know, we're paying for our space. We're paying for yeah. um, our license, our continuing education. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, you dwindle that down and, and we're not taking home $200 an hour, right? <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I think your point is we also have higher education. Mm-hmm. And so that warrants, um, yeah. you know, a, a higher salary. And um, I think the reason that <laughs> insurance is so, ex- or and no, the reason that therapy is so expensive is that we have not figured out as a country how to cover it yeah. well from our insurance, right? So mm-hmm. when you use your insurance to go th- see a therapist here in Washington state, they do not usually pay their therapist their full fee, yeah. right? The reimbursement rates are much lower than mm-hmm. our hourly rate, which is why you see a lot of ther- therapists working quote unquote out of network yeah. because it is so impossible mm-hmm. to make a, yeah. a work, a living income here in Seattle yeah. working only on insurance. And I know some people, they make their um, insurance rate higher too, Mm -hmm. so that they can actually get some more money that way. Um, And also as associates, I'm not sure how this works in other states. If I remember correctly, I think in Maryland, you could take insurance, um, but here you cannot accept insurance as an associate. Um, So you kind of have to do the out-of-network provider, but even then it's it's, um, out-of-pocket until that gets reimbursed. And it's something... I go back and forth with of, you know, lowering my rate because I feel bad that it's out of pocket and, you know, I know therapy can be expensive and wanting to be accommodating to that, but also at the same time knowing 
I'm bringing value to this mm-hmm. session. I'm working. I am running a small business. Mm-hmm. All of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people fully grasp how much money and energy and work goes into just becoming a therapist. Right. Right. The investment that you've mm-hmm. made in order to have this career. Yeah. It's a profession. Right. Totally. And professionals are paid accordingly. Yeah. And <laughs> along with that, um, a lot of people had questions about um, job options while working on your master's mm-hmm. and kind of the best jobs and positions while being enrolled in a program. Um, and I'm... <laughs> I'm going to let you share your answer because my answer is not going to be what people are expecting it to be. And if you've been like a hardcore listener of the podcast, you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, but Taylor, you're going to learn some things about me. Okay. Yeah. I'm really interested in <laughs> you go first. what you did, what did during you do? graduate school. <laughs> um, so I, before entering graduate school, was a sign language interpreter. So mm-hmm. I kept interpreting part-time. Yeah. Um, but I did my two-year full-time program where they don't recommend working mm-hmm. because it is full-time. So yeah. I actually took time off and just focused on my studies and wanted to get in and out as, mm-hmm. as soon as I could. I was very, very lucky. My partner supported me during that time. Yeah. And um, so I'm very, very fortunate for mm-hmm. that. But um, I did some babysitting on the side, some dog sitting. I mean, basically anything that isn't super brain intensive yeah. because you are read and mm-hmm. thought and like wrote out. Right. Yeah. Um, and so anything that wasn't very intensive and, and could use a different side of my skill set, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what did you do? <laughs> I always get so nervous before I share this, but I also, you know, when it's not in a public setting at all, I just say it and I'm just like, yeah, yeah that's just what I did. Um, but in a public setting, I always get like this little bit of nerves before I say this. Okay. Um, so yeah, in my, in my bachelor's, my, um, my degree was covered by the GI bill. Mm. So I didn't have to, you know, get any debt from my undergrad. Thank goodness. Um, I did do some volunteer work that was actually paid by the university, which was super cool and weird. Um, but for graduate school, um, I was in such a particular place in my life. I was, you know, just broken up with my boyfriend of three years, um, was living in the house that we were renting together by myself, um, had been working full time doing in-home visits with clients in, um, in inner city Baltimore, and then was also doing the graduate program full time. Mm -hmm. And then I reached a point where I realized I couldn't work full time and do this program full time. Yeah, <laughs> that was too much. Too much. So, um, so I quit that job and then was like, "Holy shit, I'm poor." Um, <laughs> my boyfriend at the time did have was very well off, and so it was like a huge adjustment for me to just be on my own, but then also just not have that financial assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was basically looking for the fastest, easiest way to make money. And you're looking at me with this terrified look on. Oh no, 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 expectant look. Um, so yeah, so this I is a page turner. Uh, yeah, uh, so I went into um, the Hustler Club in Baltimore, okay. uh, which is a strip club, and basically um, applied to be like a promo girl for them. So I basically... A little deviation from what I thought you were going to say, but okay. Yeah. it um, It's like, it's not as bad as people think it's going to be, but people still, I think, have some judgment associated to it. But I made $20 an hour to just go out to bars at night and like hand 
you know, flirt with people and give mm-hmm. them free admission passes mm-hmm. to the strip club. Um, and it was great money for getting myself out of the house and socializing yes. and, um, you know, after a while, then I was like, this is just too weird. And, um, then kind of became fearful of like, what if a client saw me out here Mm -hmm. in the hustler van? (laughs) Like, I don't know that I want that. Um, but definitely I wouldn't recommend as like the best position and job to take while in school. But I think doing things like bartending to be able Mm -hmm. to financially support yourself that, you Mm -hmm. know, you will make money on, um, in terms of just like getting, you know, more professional experience, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, applying for any other kinds of interns, internships, um, or volunteering with any other like community mental health organizations, um, that that kind of stuff can just be like good added experience. Like yeah. I don't put that I was a promo girl at Hustler on my no, resume. No, but I also think if your program already has those things established, right? Like let's say mm-hmm. you've got the clinical experience, yeah. then you say like, I want to round out my life, right? Yeah. Like I'm sitting either seeing clients or reading yeah. doing work. So like, even though maybe this isn't like your pride in glory of being the promo <laughs> yeah. girl you were walking yeah right? you were out you were like yeah. socializing like you weren't mm-hmm. just sitting and typing yeah. into a computer so yeah and to me it was also like that curiosity that you spoke about yeah. that like I've always been drawn to more of those kinds of things yeah. of, of being around people that I'm very curious about as to why you know why they would choose to act like this or why they would choose this direction in their mm-hmm. life and and all these kinds of things um even just being in any kind of like restaurant industry mm-hmm. I, I'm so curious about people in that kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's different. Well, and I think one of the things I'm so thankful for with our training is this idea that everyone has a story. And so then nobody... You talk to therapists and you're like, oh, so I I got a client that was, and they're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like nobody surprises us, but everyone's really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it doesn't surprise me that you're like, what is this like? Let me go see. Yeah, and part of me too. I mean, I did. I'd be like, oh, like could I do that? Mm -hmm. Like, what would that be like to be her right now? And like, what is going through her head? And there's just such this curiosity about it. but earlier you brought up this notion that sometimes being a therapist can be draining. Mm-hmm. And um, there were several questions on this of basically going into this field when you're telling other people, um, how do you deal with perhaps some of the discouragement of them saying, oh, well, that's such a draining job. And mm. in addition to that, so many of our follow-up questions here are kind of around like, how do you deal with it being draining? It must mm-hmm. be so draining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that I interviewed a lot of therapists actually before I went into graduate school because I was just really curious what the profession looked like. Yeah. And, um, That's a good tip. I That's was, a good thing to do. Yeah. I was I was married at the time and um, felt responsible that if I was going to take on this second yeah. uh, career that I needed it to work for yes. me you know? <laughs> and um, take on this debt and like time off. So I asked a lot of therapists like what's the best part of your job and what's the worst part and it wasn't necessarily the what we call vicarious trauma or or emotional burnout Mm -hmm. it was the isolation yeah that it can be really isolating sitting in a room all day giving 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 and Mm -hmm. not getting anything back and i'm an outgoing personality um i'm an e uh and need 
my people time. So I was really worried about this. So I set up a life around my therapy practice that fed that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way that I combated it right off the bat when people are like, oh, that was so draining. Like, oh, but I got you. You know, like I know myself well enough to know that I need my book club, Mm -hmm. right? Like my husband and I need to go out on date nights. I need to be talking with my friends. I have two best friends I talk to on a weekly basis, right? Like I need those supports. Mm -hmm. Um, And then anything anyone else said about therapists, I was like, cool that's your opinion this is what i want to do <laughs> yeah you know, I i'd be someone, like but do you know but are you actually a therapist yeah I had, I had someone tell me like therapists are only trying to figure their own problems out and i kind of thought well at least they're trying to figure it out <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i'd be like well isn't that what we're all doing yeah. all the time anyway so yeah. why is that so judgy and shameful that someone in the helping profession would do that yeah i don't get a lot of flack for being a therapist actually yeah. people are like yeah that fits you so again with like me weird in the corner asking you about your childhood <laughs> yes yes but how I deal with burnout, I think right mm-hmm. right from the start, I'm assuming that some of your listeners are like wanting to go to graduate school. Yes. I think talking about it very early, talking mm-hmm. about it with your professors, I, it's something that we we did well in my program, but I think we could have done better. I think we can do better, not only for therapists. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stand on a little grandstand for yeah. a second. Get up there, girl. A soapbox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we can do better for nurses. Yes. I think we can do better for teachers. I think we can do better for a lot of professions that are really helping professions mm-hmm. under the auspices of medical and teaching and things like that. So yes. shout out to my nurses friends. They yes. have it worse than we do. Mm-hmm. But for therapists, we need to be talking about it more. Uh, um, we need to be practicing these skills during school, during our internships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a couple of professors who really encouraged us to do that. So I, you know, I exercise often. I have I have the things that connect me back um, to nature. I, I love hiking, right? All those things. Um, I also have a consult group that I meet with regularly yes. to make sure that I'm processing mm-hmm. my caseload and what it's like being a therapist. Um, but I think on top of all that, I take my role as a therapist very, very seriously. Yes. So unlike, let's see, a plumber whose like skill is the fact that they know how to put together pipes. Mm-hmm. My skill is empathy. Yeah. Right. And so a plumber may be able to stay up all night and mm-hmm. take, have a couple cup of coffee in the morning, couple of extra cups of coffee in the morning, and still put together those pipes. Like I can't do that very yeah. well for my empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I have to protect that skill. Mm-hmm. That is my skill. Yeah. And I think sometimes therapists internalize it too much. Like they are the the tool. Yeah. No, it's our it's our listening skills, it's our empathy skills that are the tools. Mm-hmm. So I'm really fiercely protective of that. I yeah. go to bed every, almost every night at the same time. Yeah. I make sure I work out. I make sure that if I feel drained, I'm I'm talking to my supervisor about it. I'm talking to my consult group, mm-hmm. and I've had my supervisor be like, "You need to slow down. Yeah. You need to do something for you." So mm-hmm. um, I think that you really, really have to take burnout seriously. Yeah, I'm planning on being in this profession for a very long, a long time. time. Yeah. So, yeah, I I love that response. I think that was perfect. Um, one thing that I think people um, people kind of, in addition to what you just spoke of, uh, wonder and feel like sometimes the things that they are saying to their therapist um, feels annoying or feels mundane or feels like you know oh I feel like I must be putting a lot on my therapist mm-hmm. right now and in a way wanting to almost caretake for their therapist. Um, But 
I think all the things that you just talked about um, do show that we can be so aware and like so yes. protective, like yes. you said, of our emotional well-being yeah. to where those boundaries are like really, really firm. Yes. And I did get a, a lot of questions here on boundaries around, um, let me see, what's what were these boundary questions? Uh, I'm in school for social work and I'm wondering how you separate work from home. How do you turn off the therapist as a friend and family member? Is it hard to separate caring for others at work and then in your personal life? Mm-hmm. Do people in your life accuse you of therapizing them? Mm-hmm. How do you maintain professional boundaries when you click well with a client? Um, and just how you actually set and keep boundaries with your clients. Mm-hmm. And I think that whole conversation around boundaries goes also to people kind of asking, you know, do you ever take on the emotions of your client? Yeah. Do you ever struggle with, um, you know, being really pulled into what your client is dealing with and taking that home with you and all yeah. those things and where for me, it, it, it is so professional. Like you take yeah. it really seriously. Yes. Um, it's not the same as caring for a friend or caring for a family member. No. Um, there are some similarities, but there, for me, that boundary, it is just so clear. Yeah. When I step out of the office, I'm not thinking about what my client is like. I'm back to my life. Yeah. And if I am um, overwhelmed by a session, mm-hmm. I am seeking support from that. Yeah. Right. And so, I think it's so sweet that someone like wrote in like concerned about their therapist (laughs) and like, we're not concerned about our doctors. We're not concerned about our plumbers. We're not concerned about our lawyers. Mm -hmm. Like you are paying or investing your time and Mm -hmm. or investing your time to work on yourself. And if you feel like your therapist is having a hard time with that, then you should process that with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, I work very hard to make sure that, um, that clients feel like I can handle what they bring. Yeah. And (laughs) this question, like specifically, how do you not internalize it when it feels like none of your clients are making progress? Mm. Um, And how does being a therapist affect your own mental health? Mm -hmm. I think... I think not internalizing it is also understanding the separation that I actually spoke to last episode of knowing that my clients' problems are not my problems. Mm -hmm. My clients' successes and failures are not my successes Mm -hmm. and failures. So if a client is perhaps not making progress or not feeling more satisfied in their life, Mm -hmm. that I'm not internalizing that as my problem Mm -hmm. because that boundary Mm -hmm. is there. Mm -hmm. And again, like we're not perfect in this, right? But graduate school teaches us to be aware of Mm -hmm. that pull if it's happening, right? It's um, a term that we use in the therapy world is self of the therapist, right? Mm -hmm. What is happening internally as we're sitting with our clients and being aware of that. And that's what supervision's for. That's what your consult group's for. That's what, Mm -hmm. you know, having um, colleagues that you're close with and can talk to about being a therapist. That's what it's about. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the consultation groups um, Mm -hmm. because I think that's something that the average person looking to seek therapy or the average person in therapy doesn't realize that their therapists have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
consultation groups are basically like support groups for therapists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Your confidentiality as a client is not broken Mm -hmm. in those groups, but it is a way for therapists and and counselors to really kind of debrief what they're experiencing um, and, you know, providing help if they feel stuck on something. And it's, it's a really great resource and especially doing private practice that can feel really isolating. That kind of support is so important. So I'm Vital. Yeah. I would say vital. Yes. Um, and part of <laughs> a lot, you're right. People really were thoughtful in, in their questions here. Um, and I don't know if it, these people are just curious about therapists in general or if they are, are actually in therapy and wondering these things. Mm-hmm. But many questions around how our mental health is affected mm. by doing the work that we do. Mm. Um, and and a lot of questions too, actually, about um, if as therapists, we seek therapists and mm. how um, how do therapists that are currently in therapy, how do I read this question? How many therapists do you think are currently in therapy to help separate themselves? Um, hmm. Well, and- I, I guess it would depend on what you count as therapy. Like is our consultation groups therapy? Is our supervision therapy, right? Like yeah. I think therapists are often doing that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not currently in individual formal therapy to process being a therapist, but I have been, I was Mm -hmm. definitely during graduate school. Um, yeah. So I think it, it depends. And I, but I think the important thing is therapists are hopefully seeking support and not isolating themselves Mm -hmm. and working in a vacuum of themselves around being a therapist. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, I think so important that you know, even like you said that you have, you know, your Moss Enterprise and mm-hmm. and all these other things that, that you do to where you're not in this box of just being a therapist. Mm-hmm. And this is something, especially from being on the show that I've, I've talked about so much and um, Active Minds, which is a great organization that has chapters all throughout the states and colleges to provide support for students talking about mental health. Um, at their national conference two years ago, I was the keynote speaker, which was terrifying, but I was also like, oh my God, someone cares. <laughs> um, but so much of my speech in that was talking about how most of society sees therapists in a box mm-hmm. of just being a therapist. Right. And it's almost like that notion of seeing your teacher outside of school and being like, oh my God, what? But it's like, right. there's so much, at least from my experience, shame that gets attached to that, mm. that makes people feel really uncomfortable and that they want you to just be a therapist. Right. And right. and if the things that you're doing or, or other parts of your life that are outside of therapy that don't necessarily seem incongruent with what you would think a therapist would do, right. that then it's like, they must be a terrible therapist. Right. right. I mean, it's tricky, right? So in the therapy room, we definitely just want to be seen as a therapist, yes. right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we, uh, therapists use humor, therapists, yeah. th- we have our own sense of what that looks like, right? Mm-hmm. But but the a client shouldn't know what my biggest concern of the day is, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, and I also um, have really strong convictions about networking and the importance of doing that as a mm-hmm. therapist to build your business. And you all are, we all are always networking, yeah. right? So you probably shouldn't be acting a fool Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. But yeah, 
you also need to be a person, right? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and and you need to have people that you can be that with. Yeah. Um, I often get the question, you know, what what's from your professional opinion? From your professional opinion, and I'll I'll speak to it in in the way that I know. Like I know a lot about premarital, right? Yeah. You want my professional opinion about premarital? You better sit down because mm-hmm. I've got a lot to tell you, <laughs> yes. right? But like I don't know that much about borderline personality disorder, yeah. right? Like I don't know that that much about agoraphobia mm-hmm. or EMDR. Yeah. Um, but I know that I know how I could get in touch with someone who who mm-hmm. would. So yeah. I don't think you have to be everything to everyone. Totally. But I think what you're speaking to is that people sometimes put therapists up on that pedestal. Like, totally. Because you're a therapist, you should know everything about psychology, sociology, yes. and anthropology. And I'm like, yeah. I actually got a very specific degree. And <laughs> yes. actually what it taught me was I don't actually know that much, but I can be curious. Yes. Right? That's what I do mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And and I think also just to that point of, you know, not being a therapist in a vacuum that that you do seek that support elsewhere and that you do do these other things in your life to maintain that sense of balance and that sense of who you are because I strongly believe that as a helper you are not only a helper Um, that that is a portion of your personality and a portion portion of your life but that does not entirely make up who you are yes Um, I agree and there were some like very specific questions about um, working with clients that I want to make sure we answer here. Okay. Um, do therapists get offended when you stop seeing them without giving an explanation? My instant gut reaction to that is no, yeah. because I also feel very confident about my ability to be a therapist, but but also I want my clients to get help. And yeah. if that's not with me and if it's in, with another therapist, great. But I do talk to my clients in the beginning of therapy um, mm-hmm. in what we call informed consent, yeah. kind of orientation to how therapy works. That If you don't want to see me, great, but, but let me know. Yeah. If a client just up and leaves, like it, it's, it's a... It's an indicator of something, mm-hmm. right? So I, yeah. I try to be thoughtful about those cases, but... Um, but no, I'm not. I'm not offended. I, I get probably once in a while there have been yeah. clients that have left that I've just wondered about or mm-hmm. been sad that yeah, you know, we don't get to continue work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say in in my somewhat limited experience with this, um, the times that I have had clients leave, I already kind of felt that coming. Mm-hmm. There were already kind of signs to like scheduling was getting difficult or finances were getting difficult or they just weren't really there. Um, they weren't really ready to do the work. And in those examples, I, I don't, it's not something I take personally, so yeah. I don't feel offended. Yeah. Um, and the other work, you know, I, I don't think I've had a client that I've actually like developed a real relationship with and then they've just stopped coming and I've been like what um I think in that instance yeah I'd be like really sad and I'd be like oh like what's this about um like we spoke about earlier I think one of the most important pieces of the work you do in therapy is that relationship and so one of the things I do somewhat frequently is check in to see Mm -hmm. how they are feeling Mm -hmm. about their sessions, you know, mm-hmm. that this is about you. And if you're not getting what you feel like you need out of this, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're going to want to stop coming. So mm-hmm. before it gets to that point where you just feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that you don't know how to say anything, so you're just going to stop coming, let's talk about this and yeah. let's check in with each other and see, you know, if this is what you want to talk about today yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone asked, how do you handle when clients are clearly lying? Oh, this is the interesting thing. I don't 
I don't always, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you're clearly lying, right? Yeah, I was trying to think. I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a client lie. Ah, mm, no. I will say when I did community mental health and when I was working doing substance abuse, there were definitely instances where yeah. people were clearly lying about having used or which would show up on a urine test right. um, or, you know, kind of trying to just like beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you know, the client's not really lying to me. They're lying to themselves. About- yeah. And that's information, right? Mm-hmm. I think it leads to more curiosity. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is something that you and I have talked about and I know is something that listeners probably want me to touch on um, is asking about um, if I turn away clients that know me from Bachelor World, Mm -hmm. um, if having a large social media following has negatively affected my career in any way. um, And I think as a colleague, you know, that's something that you and I have gone over and something I've gone over a lot with my supervisor. um, And I don't, there really hasn't been anyone that's came to me specifically because they watched me the clients that i work with now don't have any idea Mm -hmm. and if they did learn we would talk about it Mm -hmm. in session Mm -hmm. um i don't take clients from my instagram Mm -hmm. so that kind of filters that portion out um but i wouldn't say it's affected anything negatively i think i needed to take time before getting back to doing this i think had i jumped right back in in the midst of the chaos of the show that there probably would have been some negative effects of that but where i'm at now it's it's i don't think it is actually having any impact on the clients that i'm working with it definitely has an impact on my screening process right um and yeah yeah i think the important thing about what you're doing is you're being really thoughtful Mm -hmm. to protect the client yeah. Right. Um, to protect yourself, but also to protect the mm-hmm. client and protect the safety of what it means to be able to be open, truly mm-hmm. open in the yeah. therapy room with your therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's, you know, as we talk about those, those boundaries earlier about, you know, obviously your client's not going to know everything about you mm-hmm. um, and that you want your client in the room to see you as just their therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is that other layer for me where... A client could very well know every other thing I've done that day Mm -hmm. if they looked on my Instagram or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I think that that kind of what I've discussed with my supervisor too is that as we discuss kind of the boundaries around social media that the clients understand the risks involved Mm -hmm. in engaging in that kind of relationship and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing that part of me Um, to where it really is. It's just all things that... We can discuss and if people are triggered by things or if people are uncomfortable with things, that's all just stuff to talk through. Yeah. I think one of the best things about being a therapist is there are very few conversations that I feel uncomfortable having. Yeah. There are situations where I feel uncomfortable having them, but Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's another part of finding your tribe as therapist. It's like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's explore it. And, Mm -hmm. and again, what I come back to is like, I don't know, like, you know, could I do this? I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's so interesting how you're navigating it. And yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of the way that you're doing yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and kind of along those lines um, of, you know, the clients that we work with, uh, people asked, how do you decide what clients you can and cannot work with? Mm-hmm. I touched on this a little bit in the last episode, um, 
but I'm curious to hear from you kind of how you decide who you do and don't work with. Yeah, I think we have what we call our scope of practice and in our marriage and family therapy uh, ethical code, we talk Mm -hmm. about uh, working within your scope of practice. That's not clearly delineated um, Mm -hmm. by my degree, but um, it's it's who I feel comfortable attending to the goals that they have in therapy. And so for me, that's premarital couples for sure. Um, uh, Couples who are uh, committed and and married. Um, And if I feel like I'm not serving the goals of my client, then I have a conversation with them about, hey, do I think a specialist in mm-hmm. anxiety, well, maybe not anxiety, but, you know, specific forms of anxiety yeah. or trauma or processing. Treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trauma processing would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I've been very particular in screening men mm-hmm. sometimes, um, which, you know, in the past when I've worked with men, I've actually done really great work. Yeah. And, you know, it was in a very different kind of setting where mm-hmm. I was around a lot of other people and had a lot more support than I do now in a private practice mm-hmm. by myself. Um, but I will say, you know, for example, there was someone who reached out and really wanted to just get like really quick intensive treatment and then was going to leave to go out of state mm-hmm. and where something like that for me felt like you know a that's not really how i operate <laughs> and b I'm, i probably won't be the best uh professional for you right. but like let me give you a referral out right. um part of what i talked about in the last episode if you guys didn't get a chance to listen to that um is even just kind of figuring out what populations of mm-hmm. clients you want to work with mm-hmm. uh where for me you know coming out of undergrad i had schizophrenia and eating disorders that's like mm-hmm. my two populations and i was like i don't feel comfortable working with those two yeah. <laughs> and then like basically right out of school ended up working with both of them <laughs> um and it went really well and all the like weird fears and, yeah. and anxieties that i had and insecurities around my confidence to treat those um went away yeah but but good supervision good support right when you work um at the edges of your scope of practice yeah um until you feel like they're Mm -hmm. no longer the edges yeah and especially when you are first starting out i mean you kind of have to have that experience to be able to determine where you do do good work and where you feel like you don't and what your training is what your schooling is all of that um this question I think is really important to touch on uh, before we start wrapping up here. Um, it it goes along the lines of, of boundaries, but in a way that we haven't talked about yet. So this question is, how do you balance your own morals and personal opinions on topics when with a client? Mm. <laughs> Which I think is a big <laughs> misconception mm-hmm. of therapy too, mm-hmm. that, you know, if, if your client, uh, you know, voted for Trump and you're a Democrat that you could never see that client. Um, Yeah. I'm curious what your take is. Well, um, it's an interesting question and different frames of therapy think differently about this, but I think Mm -hmm. that most LMHCs, LMFTs and social workers are going to, are going to say a similar answer. I'm curious what you think, but, Mm -hmm. um, it is our not our job to judge the morals and values of our clients. It's yep. our job to help them define them for themselves, to help get clarity on them, and to help them hit their values totally. or um, their goals in session, right? Mm-hmm. So to become less anxious, to become less depressed, right? Um, 
However, we also are mandated reporters and in mm-hmm. the state of Washington, if you hurt a kid or a yeah. dependent adult, if you're going to be suicidal or mm-hmm. if you are going to um, harm another individual uh, or threatening to kill another individual, yeah. actually, in, in the state of Washington, domestic violence is not reportable mm-hmm. um, by a mandated reporter. But all, all of those things, uh, we do have to report them. Yeah. So um, there are some restrictions to that mm-hmm. right you think yeah. it's okay to abuse children or or maybe we disagree on what abuse means mm-hmm. right like I, I we would have to have a conversation about yeah. why i have to report that here in the state of washington but mm-hmm. um yeah i think that is a misconception that that yeah. i am going to make you think the way that i think or make yeah. you think a way that you don't want to think mm-hmm. um i'm i'm very thankful that we have a, a progressive city that kind of supports that as yeah. well. Um, but it's, I think it's also what makes her job really interesting. Cause I do have to sit with people that I don't always agree with, but it's yeah. helped me sit with people that I don't agree with, you know, in my life. Yeah. Um, and just be curious. And, mm-hmm. you know, when people say like, how do you turn the therapy off outside? Yeah. I, I'm not giving advice. I joke like, Oh, you want to mm-hmm. pay me? you yeah. know my hourly fee or like oh i'm actually closed for business but yeah. i do use my empathy skills mm-hmm. to listen to my husband yes. well yeah. to listen to my husband who has different ideas than i do and sometimes he's actually the hardest one to listen yeah. to right like <laughs> yes. i can listen to a client all day i don't have to make decisions with yeah. them yeah um yeah so yeah yeah no i i i very much agree here and i think um I, I want to be clear. It's not a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some yes. therapists do have that kind of an approach. But yeah. um, for me, when I am in session with a client, it is not about me. Right. It's not about what my morals and my values are. And certainly if a client says something and I like notice something come up where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't agree with you there. Mm-hmm. But okay, I, I noticed that I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. But how do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this experience like for you? Um, you know, I will say I definitely have worked with people where they've done, you know, some maybe inappropriate things or had some values that I didn't like. I had a client that I did the in-home visits with who was like very clearly racist and um, always really wanted to know what my background was and mm. where I was from. And he had even like used racial slurs around me and I was just like oh this is a Mm -hmm. tough one this is Mm -hmm. really a tough one um but that didn't mean that I wasn't able to kind of set that aside and be Mm -hmm. like this is where this person's at Mm -hmm. this is just where they're at Mm -hmm. and you know that wasn't at like the core of our work together Mm -hmm. I was just trying to make sure he was taking his medication right um (laughs) so I was like I'm gonna make sure I'm doing my job here but yeah in our literally like in our um for me it's ACA the American Counseling Association their code of ethics um which I've referenced in several episodes in the past um but you know we do have these professional values and it is not ethical for us to impose our values onto our clients um And it is not actually even ethical to terminate treatment of a client because we disagree with their values or their morals. Um, So it's definitely not an easy thing to balance. But I think over time as you develop those boundaries um, and kind of get more in touch with your identity as a therapist, Mm -hmm. that it... It becomes easier. And also the people Part that, of the job. It's part of the job. Yeah. It's part and, of the job. And I like that you said it is something that you can look at as a positive of the job too yeah. because you're not staying in this kind of bubble of people that are just right. like you. Right. But I think on the opposite end of that, that in private practice, 
you do this is something my supervisor has reminded me of that um, people that want to work with you, you know, in voluntary private practice, mm-hmm. uh, those people are drawn to you for something and mm-hmm. that they likely do have things in common with you. And that's why they're coming to you. And that's why they enjoy working with you. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm finding it rare being out of community mental health that I run into those situations. Yeah, it's true. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're practicing, um, in a city that, has similar values, right? Yeah. To the mm-hmm. ones that we have, but that's totally. not always the case. Yeah. Um, and I'll say the last, there's like as a handful of other really good questions that I definitely want to get to. Um, but I'm going to pick two um, to leave us off on. So uh, one is how do you deal with imposter syndrome as a therapist? Mm. Do you ever feel like you can't do you ever feel like you have to fake it until you make it? I'm a therapist and feel that way sometimes. Yeah. And then the second one um, that we will leave off on is, uh, where did I just have it? Oh, is it hard to separate caring for others at work and then in your personal life? Mm. And how do you separate that? Oh, let's leave that one for the end, yeah. right? Because okay. I feel like that's that's kind of the process that I take going home. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So gosh, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, the greatest thing about being a therapist is I don't have to solve your problems. You mm-hmm. get to decide what you want to do. So yeah. when I feel imposter syndrome or I feel frustrated because I want someone to just be better, mm-hmm. um, I say that out loud. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I wish I had a magic wand right now. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if I did, we wouldn't be sitting here, you know? Yeah. And so um, I lean into my curiosity. And in, in mm-hmm. my training program at, at Seattle Pacific University, we have an approach called ORCA. Hmm. Uh, openness, respect, curiosity, and accountability, particularly the accountability to hmm. your power in the room. And, um, and for those of you who are therapists, Seattle Pacific University is going to be... Um, doing more writing on this. So watch out for that. But, um, but, uh, I lean into Orca when Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've experienced more imposter syndrome as a business owner than I have as a therapist. As a mom? As a mom. You know, at first, <laughs> wow, this is, that's a whole other podcast. I know that's a separate um, episode. <laughs> uh, so many thoughts, but, um, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean like, yes. And, uh, no, uh, mainly mm-hmm. because one of the best things I've done for myself in 2018, 2019 is write a mission statement mm-hmm. that if I'm good about, I read every single day. Oh, and wow. so my job as a mom is to create a loving, safe, warm environment that we can foster curiosity and grow from. Like that's what my mission statement says. And so like, <laughs> that's I know- That's beautiful. This I is know, why I love you so much. <laughs> I know what I want to do as a mom. Um, yes. But uh, I think uh, having a community of women, um, mm-hmm. I have I have my consult group of moms um, yeah. that I met through a great organization here in Seattle called PEPS. Mm-hmm. And um, so if I feel like I don't quite know, you know, yeah. I, and maybe my husband and I have talked about it, um, I go to them. But mm-hmm. I think as a business owner, right, like yeah. how do I create this procedure and, and what do I decide to charge? But that's where my community of uh, mm-hmm. business owners come in. So maybe the answer to imposter syndrome is just community, right? Yeah. And like bouncing it off of other people. Mm-hmm. How about for you? Yeah, I would say definitely I I would piggyback that of saying um, 
knowing that you're not alone in that. So I think it is really important to give voice to that when you are feeling that. Um, You know, I think especially as a young therapist, especially still having the associate tagged onto my license, um, that at times there can feel like there is this pressure, you know, even, even just in the public being that I'm clearly a young adult and that I'm calling myself a therapist. Some people are like, no, you're not like, and, uh, you know, I, I try really hard to not. And I, I think, at the beginning of that, I, I took on a lot more of that mm-hmm. where now it's really, I kind of give myself a little pep talks yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting because I feel like once I get in the room, a lot of that goes away. Yeah. And once I actually start like interacting with that client, it's like, I feel like, Oh, like, yeah, I'm me again. Yeah. Like, of course, like, yeah, none of, none of those other things really matter. Yeah. Um, and really having that, like trusting your gut yeah. because I think a lot of that like imposter syndrome can kind of come from external voices or external mm-hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, it's like, yes, even though my life was really hectic and unstable the last few years, take all of that out. Mm-hmm. If I would have been able to just go back into seeing clients, I do think that once I would have been in that room, I would have been fine. Yeah. I would have been totally fine. Yeah. Um, And almost like everything that we do at first, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. And so I think having been seeing clients in my private practice for five years, that imposter syndrome has dialed down a ton. The first year, Mm -hmm. like every day. Yeah. But you do, you give yourself pep talks. And then then the, the thing I like about being out of graduate school, a little older now is every time I feel like I have imposter syndrome, I was like, oh yeah, I had that back then. Yeah. Right, like, oh, I had that back then, and maybe that's why I didn't say like yes as being a mom because, of course, I had it. But mm-hmm. also, I was like, yeah, but I had it in graduate school, yeah. and I had it opening my business, and I had yeah. it in undergrad, and I had it when I was first married, mm-hmm. right? And like, this is just that. I just have to get used to this. It's a transition, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the pep talks, self pep talks, yes, key. Yeah, it's yeah. it's literally it's it's being your own biggest cheerleader yes. and reminding yourself too, especially as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the gigantic investment that it is even to mm-hmm. be in this field of work. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think, you know, I, I went through all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did all of that. Mm-hmm. I am $80,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the pep talks are really important. Yes. Um, and, and I'm curious for you to kind of wrap us up here um, to distinguish that therapizing mm-hmm. outside of the therapeutic setting of how you maintain that balance. And we've talked a little bit about it. And I think, you know, there's no way you're not going to use those those skills because right. right. they're really helpful. Um, I think for me, even in the past, I've gotten so many mixed messages about like, oh, well, you should really use your gift and you should use these skills Mm -hmm. because the other people don't have them. And this is really helpful. Like this is a gift. And on the other side, it's, well, this isn't your job right now. Like, you know, you don't need to do this. Like, yeah. I think that it comes, um, into having, having boundaries, Mm -hmm. right. Um, where, I don't know if you were a professional wrestler, right? <laughs> like you could defend somebody, yes. but you wouldn't like wrestle them down to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, when I am at a family gathering and mm-hmm. things get heated, like I can probably say, I see your point. I see your point, yeah. but it's not my job to be their therapist. Yeah. And I think 
at first I felt like it was, but mm-hmm. that I think that's the process of going through graduate school is learning yes. all these new skills, feeling a little bit uh, over responsible for them mm-hmm. and then having that kind of even out. Yeah. I joke that when you go into graduate school, oh, and I wish I had looked this up because I'm going to say it wrong, that you take the blue pill. From oh, the matrix? Yeah, yeah. Is it the I don't know. I have pill? no idea which Whatever one it is. Whatever pill but... makes you see the matrix, right? Mm-hmm. You see the world in a whole new way. Yes. You see the dysfunction, but you also see why people are dysfunctional and yes. why families are dysfunctional. So it was really hard during graduate school to be around people because <laughs> you saw the dysfunction. But now that's like leveled off. Like I can yeah. kind of put on that hat when I'm here and then take that hat off. But yeah. I also have a smaller population of friends, a smaller mm-hmm. population of people that I see j- yeah. just by the nature of my life now mm-hmm. as a mom, but um, also taking on that identity as a therapist. But what I do to kind of turn that off is... Once I leave, um, if I find myself thinking about clients, I have a little mental ritual of coming Mm -hmm. back into this room and kind of letting it go. And um, I've got a little thing that I say to myself as a person of faith. I'm like, hey, God, I did my little small part. You get to do the rest. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I am just a small part in my client's day. Mm -hmm. Um, An an important part, hopefully. Yeah. uh, like a, a part for change, but, but I am not the master of their mm-hmm. destiny by any means. And that yeah. like for my personality, that kind of releases me. I think mm-hmm. of the burden that I have of like, yeah. it's all my responsibility. Totally. Um, I also, if I need a little bit of time, I have these like self care things that I do. Right. Mm-hmm. I like love jamming out to a good yeah. couple of songs on my mm-hmm. way home. Um, sometimes I need to call a consult group member and like mm-hmm. chat through um, yeah. a case because I can't come home and say it to my partner, mm-hmm. right? It's like, how was your day? Oh, great. All these things happened. How was your day? It was good. The lunch you made me was really good. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've gotten around that now, you mm-hmm. know, now I like talk about things that I'm thinking about or mm-hmm. things that I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, and really good self-care helps me, helps mm-hmm. me turn it off. Yeah. 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 I think part of, you know, a kind of part of me getting back into it. I am seeing clients that are very, very high functioning mm-hmm. and it is really just learning uh, skills and tools to cope with our feelings yeah. and actually providing validation and a space for people to really, for the first time, experience their feelings yeah. um, to where for me, it doesn't feel like this super heavy work that yeah. I might've done um, doing with substance abuse. Uh, so, for me, I haven't had that moment yet getting back into it in this phase and this season of being a therapist um, where I have felt like, oh, like I can't stop thinking about that person. Yeah. Um, there, there have been really small things where like a client, there was an incident here in, in Seattle with the cranes mm. um, where a crane fell and like yeah. saw people died and is very bad. Um, and a client of mine witnessed that. Oh, wow. And so there was for a while where like, you know, I'd see crane, I can see cranes out of my apartment, um, where I would, I would have like a split second of like, oh yeah, like that's, that reminds me of that client. But it wasn't, I didn't feel like an urge to be like, oh, well, I hope she's doing okay. Like, should I check in with her? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Like how should I do this treatment? Like blah, blah, blah. It was just a thought of like, oh yeah. Like that's wild. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, yeah, I feel for her. Mm-hmm. And and that's a muscle that you've built. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a muscle that you build to be able to compartmentalize yeah. and to be professional, mm-hmm. right? And you like have to do yeah. that with 
all of your other sources of income too, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, at some point you just want to be like chilling on the couch with your cat or your dog, right? Yeah. And Yeah, and I think sometimes too, when you do have so many other things going on in your life that it is just like, once you get out the door, it's like, oh, okay, I got this call and I got to respond to this. And um, to me, that's almost a way of like mentally checking out. Like yeah. I won't actually look at my phone until I've written my note, until I'm ready to leave. And for me, that means then when I leave, I'm getting back into my life and I'm, you know, getting back in that mode to where those things don't come up. And, and when it comes to the boundaries of being a therapist for other people outside of the therapeutic setting, I just have that firm, like, I'm not giving you all that energy. (laughs) I'm like, if you want to pay me to do that, sure. But also like, uh, unless it is, you know, a really specific situation where it's like clear that I need to use those skills because it's someone I really care about. Um, Otherwise it's like, this is not my job right now. Like um, for what, what, why do I need to put in all this extra energy right now? when like, I'm just trying to have fun at this party. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, Well, you guys asked so many amazing questions and thank you so much, Taylor, for your time. Um, I know these were... That I'm like, I can, I, there's so much more to, to all of this, yes. um, but really appreciate you sharing like your experiences and, and your tips and kind of your, your perspective on, on what being a therapist is like. Gladly. Gladly. Yeah. Great talking with you. Yeah, you too. And thank you guys all for listening. Um, if you guys have a minute after this episode, uh, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. And you can also always shoot me an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And that does it for this week's episode. Um, I will talk to you guys next time. podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.